Dickinson and welcome to Stand Tall, my podcast show. I look forward to sharing interviews and talks with and about people that create change, make an incredible difference and walk their talk. Everyone has their story, so stay with me as I pervade the layers of excellence in all walks of life. My next guest is Robin Dosworth, successful martial arts school owner and small business entrepreneur. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Andy. Good to be here. Do you remember the first time we met? I do. It was actually uh, on a Wednesday afternoon in North Sydney in one uh, of the first class that I attended, a trial class, your class uh, at the North Sydney PCYC. I was looking around for a martial arts school um, while working in the area. And, uh, yes, that's when we first met. I rocked up to do the trial lesson at North Star in the North Sydney PCYC. It was, was that, May that before or after Corinne? Uh, it was before she joined. She joined afterwards when uh, I came home and raved about it. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, we were already married then, obviously, uh, but just we weren't parents yet. Right, of course. Of course, Caden came along a little bit later, didn't he? A few years later, yes. What was your reason for wanting to get into the martial arts? Well, I think I spent my childhood watching a lot of action movies and martial arts movies. And I also had a couple of cousins who did karate. And I was always a little bit envious because I really wanted to learn to do the cool karate moves, um, but never got around to it. As I grew older, I think the motivation to do it, I mean, was still there, but I think the intrinsic motivation shifted a little bit. I felt like... I needed to, to do something to really help me gain control uh, of myself, of my response to situations. And the more I researched and read about martial arts, it felt like this was the thing that would help me kind of really take control of my, my own response, my own reaction to situations, especially situations under pressure, especially with work. And, um, and, yeah, that's what eventually drew me to it. Aside from the physical aspect of the training, it's the mental, the mind aspect that also attracted me. So it was a really good fit for your personality. Yeah, I think it was a really good fit for my personality. It was something that I, I needed to, to do to be able to grow and, and really get into my own skin, I think. You were awarded an Australian Government Scholarship uh, to go to Macquarie University and then you moved to Sydney. That was, would have been quite a big step for you. Yes, it was. It was quite a big step. Uh, where I come from in Mauritius, uh, it's not. It's quite you know often you know, quite regularly the case that um, youngsters, when they finish the HSC, seek to uh, move abroad to do further studies. And I came through a very um, competitive stream in high school. I went to through a competitive high school as well. So a lot of my friends uh, around that time were applying for scholarships, not just in Australia, uh, but elsewhere as well. As it turns out, my HSC results were good enough for me to, to qualify to apply for a scholarship. I applied for France. I didn't get it. It was a tough interview, but I also applied for Australia. At the time, Australia was still giving out scholarships to Mauritius. Applied, got interviewed, and, you know, was given the good news that I had been awarded an Australian Government Scholarship via AusAid at the time. And I was asked to pick a couple of unis and courses. My first choice was to do a Bachelor of Arts in uh, Media Communication Studies 
at Macquarie, and that's, that's what I was offered. So I arrived here, right in Bushy Town, uh, 18-year-old, 19-year-old in 94. Uh, didn't know anyone from a bar of soap in Sydney and had to adapt pretty quickly. The first six months were pretty tough, pretty lonely. Um, but, mm. you know, I, I made some friends pretty quickly too, uh, living on campus. And uh, from there, kind of grew into, you know, life in Australia, being a local and so on and so forth. So when you first arrived in Australia, you didn't know anybody? No, didn't know anyone here, uh, not in Sydney anyway. I had some people, uh, friends of the family or loose friends of my parents who said, oh, I know somebody in Melbourne, but back then Melbourne seemed like so far away. And we didn't have internet, email. It was all phone calls and um, communications was not as as easy as it is now through the internet and, and, and smartphones and whatnot. So the distance felt even bigger. And Corinne was then my girlfriend was back in Mauritius. So the first year here, I was here and she was over there. So that made things quite challenging. And to top it off, you say that English was a second language. Exactly how was it? It is. English is is my second language. Uh, Growing up in Mauritius, we speak more French and Creole, which is our native tongue. English is an official language. It's our official language, but we don't speak it as widely. But it was only when I moved to Sydney in 94 that, you know, obviously I got thrown in the deep end. I had to really come up to speed with my spoken English. And it became comfortable after a while being around, you know, native English speakers and other people who were like me, migrants, but had to had to adapt and, uh, you know, speak the local language. And uh, it became second nature after a while. I think the, the tipping point is when you start thinking in English, that's when you know you're really starting to get a grasp of the language. So the whole situation was a challenge for you from the very beginning. The fact that you came out with no friends, you, you, your English wasn't on par with a native speaker, but it was still very good. Mm-hmm. So you were challenged from the very beginning. What was your mindset around that time? Uh, I think my mindset around that time was probably an extension of a continuation, I should say, of what had carried me through the competitive schooling system that I'd put myself through, or that my parents put me through, I should say, um, which was, you know, take it as a challenge. Don't give yourself uh, failure as an option. Keep pushing forward no matter how many setbacks you encounter along the way. So this was just another challenge. It didn't even occur to me that, oh, well, English is too hard. I'm not going to bother. Uh, it was more of, and I've, I applied this mindset to everything like that I encounter. Well, I've got to conquer this, otherwise I don't move forward. So having to get comfortable with uh, speaking English and being comfortable around spoken English at this fluent level was, was, there was no other option. So I had to just get on with it because otherwise I wouldn't be able to communicate and my studies would depend on it as well because I was about to embark on a three-year degree and I needed to, to have that level of, of comfort and fluency in the language that is predominantly spoken in Australia. So that was, there's no other option. So I guess the mindset is don't give yourself the option to back out of it. Would you say that determination played a large part in, in, your, in your blueprint? Yeah, I guess you could say that determination is a, is a, is a pillar of it. It's a founding trait of what my, you know, my whole makeup, um, you know, to, to be determined to go forward and go forth towards the goal, the goals that you set yourself. And sometimes even not even having a, a clear goal, but to know that, well, you can move forward, you can stay stagnant or you can 
kind of regressed and kind of curl up into a ball, into a little hole. Um, and those last two options were not really options for me. Um, to be determined to move forward was, in my mind, always the only option. Um, I didn't really give my head the space to, to, uh, to think otherwise. Yeah. You often say that, and I've heard you talk about this before, talk about biting a lot off and chewing like hell. <laughs> yep. you're, you're, are you an Aries by any chance? I'm an Aries, actually, Andy. I believe like you too. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a common trait of Aries to, to kind of go off the beaten track and forge new ways and and try and jump off into the unknown and, and, and you know, and, and bite off and, and hang on by your teeth, so to speak. Um, that seems to have been a common sort of thread of my life so far of, of going for, for the most challenging and the most difficult choices. And, and I mean, the easy stuff is the easy stuff and sometimes it's comfortable, but I don't seem to do comfortable too well, no matter how hard I tried. And I have tried sometimes I have tried to give myself a break and, and choose the easy option in some things and some projects. But I just, I think I eventually get, bored really easily with myself after a while and realize that I'm not really fulfilling my true capacity, my true capabilities. Uh, I always remind myself that I am blessed with a lot of different skills in a lot of different areas with a pretty reasonable level of intelligence and opportunities such as moving to this country. Um, and it feels almost unfair to not do justice to these blessings that I have, to all these of all these skills, and also credit to my parents who kind of work their back off, you know, to raise five kids and send them overseas and, and, and give them the best possible opportunities. It would feel like I'm not really giving them the credit that they're due to to not fully explore my true potential, and that, that's when I, you know, tend to bite off more than I can chew and then I find myself, oh, well, and I have much choice now. I've bitten off. I need to chew like there's no tomorrow. So you, what you do, Rob, in, in essence, is you get leverage on yourself by building up the, the pros and the cons. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, sometimes I do give myself a little bit of a step back to try and keep an eye on the big picture to weigh the pros and the cons. I think that's probably happening more in the latter years of my life. You know, as a youngster, as a teen, as a 20-something, even as a 30-something, I was still kind of lunging forward and, and grabbing things and grab the bull by the horns and throw, throw caution to the wind. Uh, in, in, in more recent years, I've tended to be more measured in my response. But I have to say, I haven't quite <laughs> worn off that edge of, you know, just you know, jumping, off the, jumping off the cliff and, and, and hoping for the best kind of landing. Uh, I've done things like skydiving. I've done things like starting martial arts in my very early 30s, whereas a lot of people start in their teens and 20s. Um, I've done things like, um, you know, adventure stuff and getting into fast cars and, and all sorts of fun stuff uh, just for a thrill ride initially. And, and then, then you get into a world championship. True. <laughs> First world championship adventure. At the How old were you then? 45 years old. <laughs> yep. So I guess the, the, the adventurous edge is still definitely there. 
Correct. I mean, sometimes I tend to think of myself of maybe I wonder whether I'm not a late bloomer uh, to try and embark on those things that late in life. But I've got to say, venturing off to do something like that at the age of 45, again, I think it came down to not overthinking it because if I did sit down and overthink it and overthought it, I probably would have backed out quite easily. And I watched guys like, and people like yourselves who've competed, you know, for, for a long time, but also people like uh, Darren Higgs, who owns Quantum Martial Arts, another North Star jo- uh, Dojo, who's been a bit of a, a mentor, but also a pretty big influence and role model on my martial arts journey from day one. I remember Darren grading to his first hand black belt when I was going to a yellow belt and watching him get thrown a hundred times thinking, I remember distinctly watching him get thrown and getting up, not stopping and thinking, I want to do this one day. I want to be like that guy. I want to, I'm going to be chasing his tail, so to speak. And I still do to this day. And he was a big influence in when he'd already signed up to the squad and we started training. I was accompanying a student of mine, James, to the squad sessions. And I remember Darren turning around saying, well, you know, there's always a spot on the squad. Uh, and at the time I was, um, I was wearing, weighing, you know, the hefty 70, 79 kilos, which is quite heavy for my size. I'm only 168. And he, he kind of like semi-challenged me and taunted me into considering uh, making the under 68 kilo challenge. I remember telling him, I said, Daz, the last time I weighed 68 kilos, I was 18 years old. Uh, he said, well, the challenge is there. I'm not saying you can't do it. It's up really up to you. And uh, I'm pretty glad that he kind of taunted me and kind of almost trolled me into making that decision. And again, part of that was me deciding, okay, what the heck, just do it because you only live once and you're not getting any younger, don't give yourself the choice to back out. And I did, and I don't regret it. Over eight months, I just kind of plowed into training. You excelled through that time. Yeah. It was pretty... thing people don't don't realise when you go and compete overseas is the propensity for injury and how that that plays on your mind when you're there. So that's that's a huge challenge to overcome just just to get there, let alone competing. Did you find that? It is. It is. uh the nervousness... And the nervous energy while you're training, first training sections, then you kind of get comfortable with your training partners as well. So that kind of wears off a bit. But then when you rock up to competition, and even when I did the local competition, the North Star competition uh, in 2019, uh, in March or April 2019, I remember, I mean, I knew most of the faces that I was going to be squaring off against, but it was still that nervous energy of, you know, you're about to step onto the mats, there's a crowd watching, you don't know how you're going to go, it could go either way, it's kind of like eating at you and you try to deal with it by kind of skipping rope, doing your stretches. I tend to have a little bit of music in my ears sometimes just to kind of uh, shave off the edge a little bit. But when I rocked up in Orlando on those mats, that was multiplied by 10. These were competitors I didn't know much about they were for all I knew much better much fitter had been training for twice as long as I had so there's all that nervous energy that kicks in that that self-talk that can turn into negative self-talk if you're not careful um but I did focus on my martial arts training and everything like everything that I heard you say to me over 15 years of training and being taught by you and what others and people like Melai and Darren and Joe Brax had taught me while I was on the mats kind of started crystallizing in my head you know at that moment thinking well you know you've had the benefit of training with all these amazing people this is the moment where you really put it through the put it to, to the test and give it your best shot. Uh, otherwise, you know, um, you won't really find out. 
And I mean, I, I did get injured. The, the fact is I did get injured in, in my very last fight in Orlando on the third day. And I ended up having to go to hospital and getting checked out. He was not as bad as I thought it was when I did get hit. Um, it did take me a few months to recover, a little bit of, of therapy and physio and whatnot, but he wasn't nowhere near as bad. And my conclusion around that is if you really give yourself into the training and, and really maximize your focus into the training and your regularity and your commitment, you, I mean, it's the best way to reduce the propensity for injury. But at the end of the day, the likelihood is always going to be there. It happens to the best fighters. And um, the option is you, you've got it's a fork in the road. You can choose, I can stay safe and really save myself from all injury. I can go for it and wear some battle scars along the way. And I guess I've made the choice of battle scars. Yes, and I think the value of this entire situation is how you can then pass the lessons on to your students and how you can relate to it in a very positive way, those lessons. Can you talk a bit about how the teaching for you has opened up new doorways to expressing your your uh, ways of, of, of achieving goals? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, teaching from the very onset, I think... <laughs> It was my wife, Corinne, who actually started helping out with the classes at North Star before me, even though she joined after me. And then she came home and said, oh, I just helped with the little kids' classes. You should come and help. So the following week I went along and I discovered this whole new way of kind of exploding my personality and my skills. And I discovered that I actually intrinsically really, really love teaching. I love passing on the knowledge, but I love really engaging a crowd of students, even a small group of three or four, into really getting excited about training and giving it their best and 100% and being gassed but having a big smile on their face at the end of the class. And it's one of those things that really switched me on, I found. And over the years, uh, you know, watching other people teach, like yourself and Darren and Malai, and learning from that and, and kind of adapting my own flavour and my own teaching skills into it, has really helped me grow in confidence, not just on the mats, but outside the mats as well in my alternate career and my day job uh, in corporate life to become this more confident speaker but also negotiator, kind of business person as well. Um, Yeah, I think teaching has really, I feel, lifted me up and helped me climb a few more notches on the ladder of really exploring myself and coming into my own skin is the best way I can put it, yeah. What have been some of the challenges that have presented themselves, unexpected challenges when you opened up your own school? Ah, yes, quite uh, quite the number of learnings along the way. I mean, uh, right now it's been nine years since Arrow Martial Arts uh, when we opened in April 2011, so coming close up to, to 10 years. And along the way there's been so so many lessons. I mean, there's the the actual mechanical aspect of opening a business and, you know, registering it in Australia. There's, you know, Australia's got, got its own system. And then learning fast uh, on the run, had to, to run the back end of the business, you know, the taxation, the admin, but also the front end with the customer facing side of it, the teaching side of it. 
um, making choices along the way, such as how much money do you put into marketing? How far can you go? When do you go too far? And, you know, what marketing works best? And that that is something that is constantly cha- changing because of technology. When we opened, the internet obviously was already around. Google, Facebook were already around. But and Instagram had started as well, but they, they, couldn't, they hadn't kind of evolved into what they are now. So we were still kind of putting money into things like leaflets and hard copy advertising, newspapers. Over the years, you kind of start to learn and look at what works and what doesn't work. Um, you realize, okay, maybe spending, you know, $1,000 on leaflets that are only going to generate like a, only two inquiries is probably not a great way to spend hard-earned dollars. So maybe you look at start looking at online advertising or getting listed on local uh, search engines and local community groups online like Facebook groups and things like Ride District Moms and North Shore Moms. So you learn along the way. You also learn the hard way how to deal with customers. I mean... I, I really enjoy dealing with kids and adults and sometimes parents of kids as well. They become part of the community. But along the way, and thankfully it's been a, a really minority and a rare case, you do encounter difficult customers. And I think that's not unique to us. Obviously, any person who runs a business, especially a small business, you will inevitably encounter some difficult customers along the way, some of whom are a bit more ruthless than others and will try and take advantage of you. Um, my lesson to that is learn to pick up on the signs uh, early on. And you learn that from experience and from time spent doing it. There's no kind of magic formula. Um, if I could go back, you know, five, eight years back and, and you know, learn to recognize the signs of, of who would be a difficult customer, I would have made the choice right there and then to say, maybe we're not the right fit for you after all. Whereas when you're a bit more insecure, when you start a business, you feel like, okay, you know, let's just take them in and welcome them anyway, give them the opportunity to discover themselves or their child to discover themselves through martial arts. But then uh, with experience, you learn to, to pick who, like which, what type of customer has red flags with them when they come along, sadly enough. And you, you learn to make the hard choice of uh, letting them go when it's still early enough to let them do you, go. Do you find that uh, one of the... Um Stop gaps for you is when they attack you personally as a as a way to get their own way. That, that can be a red flag for you. Yeah, it, it does. It does. I've got to say, I will use that word. It does hurt a lot. It, it is hurtful to hear people. Like we've had customers uh, walk out shouting from the dojo in front of children, slam a belt on the table. We've had a customer go on social media and say completely untrue but really hurtful hurtful things about us um, and, and like personal things. Um, you know, when it happens, you kind of recall and go, gosh, my and, and self-doubt creeps in, in that fraction of a second or that couple of days. You really ask yourself, you start to question yourself, could I have handled this better? Could I have done something different? But then you get this chorus of voices, thankfully, who are bigger numbers and louder than that one person who could kind of huddle around you and say, hey, no, this was a one-off case. That person does not deserve to be here. Uh, they're not a good fit. The rest of us don't think like that. And we really think what you're doing is great. And we want to continue. We want you to continue doing what you're doing. And we're part of this community. And, and you know, we belong here and kind of belong together in this journey. So 
you, thankfully, if you build the right culture and the right community in your venture, into your dojo, or any kind of business that you do, then you will find that the, your true believers and your true supporters will kind of rally around you and support you. Like we've had an incident, I remember, uh, a couple of years ago when there was a car crash in front of our dojo. Some kids had stolen a car, gone on a joyride, flipped it on its roof, and it crashed on the front lawn of the scout hall where we run classes. It happened on a Wednesday where we were due to run classes that, that afternoon. And I had to scramble. I got a call from the scout hall, no access. I had to scramble to contact customers, go on social media. It was I was in full-on communications overdrive to get the message across. And i got to say 99.9% of our customers said, hey, the main thing is no one's hurt. You guys are all okay. There were no kids on the premises or walking past at that time. But there's always one or two who immediately went to, oh, well, classes aren't on. Uh, are we going to get a refund? See what I mean? Like that was their first response. So you, thankfully they're the minority. Uh, I've got to say the majority of our customers, because of the culture and, and the, the, the community spirit that we built around our dojo, around our business, were very supportive and said our main thing is nobody's hurt. I'm sure you guys will think of a solution and we can't wait until the dojo can reopen and we can train again. But don't, the, the messages we were getting were, don't stress about it. This will pass and you will deal with it and you will resolve it like you resolve everything else. So it was really comforting to, to hear and read those messages. I think that's the general outlook of um, the general public right now in the situation we find ourselves in. Most to say, well, we'll take it on the chin, we'll get on with it and we'll work towards together as a community to work through this situation. 2020 was an interesting year for us all, Rob. Um, mm. You with a young family, a thriving business. Mm. How did sure. you go? Ah, yes, <laughs> hasn't it just been a, a, a challenging year, 2020? Uh, I mean, um, and it... It, it's affected people in so many different ways. So many businesses have not made through the pandemic and I really, really feel for the people who were trying hard to, to keep them going but couldn't manage to because it's not easy. Uh, I guess for us, I was lucky that I had worked in audiovisual and in communications for many, many years. I've been doing what I do in my day job for over 20 years. So... When the writing was on the wall around late February, early March, that we were heading into bigger and bigger restrictions and potentially lockdowns of businesses, including the type of business that we run, I had to quickly go into resilience mode at the back of my head. Uh, again, it comes down to that determination of don't give yourself the choice of backing out, for me personally, and use the skills that you have and the knowledge that you have to be able to figure things out and problem solve. So I already started planning on, well, how do we do this? Uh, maybe video is the way to go. If we do video, how do we do it? Do we go online? Do we stream? Do we record and do video on demand? Do we do both? As it turns out, we we started as soon as we got locked down and we had to go online, I started doing video on demand. So I'd go to the dojo and record and set, put online and send a link to students, those who decided to stay on anyway. Um, but pretty quickly, it became evident that what the student community, both adults and kids, really needed was that connection with others. When they're watching at home and watching a recorded video in, in their own time, at a time that's convenient to them, that's fine. But what they really craved was that connection of jumping online via a group Zoom meeting and being able to see everybody even by a screen and say hello. 
Um, we watched, Corinne and I watched our son do his dance classes like that and realised this is what everybody's craving because a few minutes before the class, they'll log on, everyone would say hello, have a chat. They'd do the class and they'll leave it on for five minutes afterwards and they'll still have a chat because people were craving that connection, being isolated at home. So we realised that Zoom was probably, or some equivalent was, was the way to go. So we started including, introducing Zoom live streaming classes with still a little bit of a mix of recorded videos as well and we did that for um, 13 weeks throughout the period of the lockdown. One thing that's um, really impressed me is the fact that you've since the since that time and you've relaunched your your physical classes how how well you've done and how strong you've come out and taken control of the situation it's just wonderful to see. Oh thanks Andy um, yeah we've, we've been blessed and lucky that uh we did lose a bit of business throughout the lockdown. I'd say probably roughly about a, a fifth, maybe, or I'm not sure of a figure, but um, we, we did lose quite a few customers who decided that they couldn't continue because it wasn't for them or they were financially affected because a member of their household had lost their job. There's a variety of reasons. But um, we, we reopened in June where we were allowed to reopen and you know, went out and advertised and put on social media and spread the word as much as we could that we were reopening so people could come back again. We signed up people while we were still in lockdown. There were people who came to us while, while we were still only doing video to say we still want to train even via video. Um, and that was really heartwarming to see that there, there were people who were keen to, to, to be part of it even though they couldn't join us physically. And once we reopened, we we. We kept at it with the same determination. It's a, it's a long game. It's not something you fixed in, in three, four weeks. We opened in June, but by, by October, our numbers had kind of really, you know, peaked again to, to the level where we were and, and we were doing really well. Um, and now we're, we're, we're at a healthy level where um, I'm not as, as worried, obviously. I mean, the pandemic being what it is, things can always change. We can see those waves coming and going. There's little numbers picking up here and there occasionally as well. But the experience of going through what we went through in 2020 has taught us a lot, taught me a lot, and had to deal with something like that by determination and resilience, but also patience because sometimes it feels like you've gone through two or three really tough weeks or even four but there's light at the end of the tunnel if you stick to your guns. And, um, you know, it always kind of brings me back to this. I think there's a quote that's attributed to Bruce Lee as well. I think it was Bruce Lee. Fear not the man who's practised 10,000 kicks, but the man who's practised one kick 10,000 times. And I draw a parallel to that with the idea of this being a long game of any challenge or a lot of challenges being a long game. Sometimes you've got to, you've got to stick with it week in, week out, even if you don't see the light of the end of the tunnel, but to be able to kind of push through knowing that it will not happen right there, right then, or in a couple of weeks, but in six months times, you will look back and you will wonder how you even got through this. And you will marvel at your own ability to, to push through even the most seemingly unsurmountable barriers. And that's what we did. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's how so I look at it. It kind of comes back to those qualities we first discussed when we first started this interview, the, the blueprint, things like determination, resilience, and things which you've matched also in your martial arts tuition and your own martial arts journey. That's well, very as, true. As a, as, a, as a small business owner and a successful entrepreneur, what would you say to a, a budding young entrepreneur that wants to set out in their own business? 
Uh, based on the last 10 years I've been running a business, or nearly 10 years, I would say you need to be patient. You need to not expect that you will hit your goals as quickly as you want. You need to have a plan, definitely. Have some goals, have some targets. I mean, most business, most projects, most endeavors, um, it's important to have a target, but keep an open mind. Uh, you know, my target with the numbers of students I wanted to reach at certain points in time, I've never met them. I've never met, you know, when we first started, I, I remember thinking, okay, it's April, by December, we need to have 50 students. December that year, we had 25, you know. I could have, you know, right there and then decided, oh, well, it's not working out, not for me. See you later, Andy. <laughs> but I stuck to, we stuck to our guns. Uh, you may not reach that target there and then because of a variety of reasons, but you've got to stick to your guns if you want to really reach that target eventually anyway. The other thing is keep an open mind. I mean, if, if anything, if there's one lesson that I draw from 2020 and, and the goalposts shifting left and right constantly is if we didn't keep an open mind and try and think outside the square, we would not still be around. Um, so you've got to keep an open mind and learn to go with the flow. You've got to stick to your guns for sure. You know what you know defines you and defines what you do intrinsically and that's your core. But beyond that, give yourself some room to move. Uh, maybe, you know, you might think that, okay, we only do physical training, video is definitely not for us. And that might mean that you lose an opportunity to grow in an area if you do that. Or we only teach men, we don't teach women. Um, but you realize that by including girls and women in your training, you, you open up to, you know, a, a new market, a new, a new segment, a new sector of demand. You know, there's a lot of, of girls and women out there who crave to do, to learn to defend themselves and handle themselves. And if you, you, you close that off, then you close off a whole era of potential growth for uh, martial arts dojo. And similarly for other businesses as well, like during the pandemic, cafes had to readapt by doing more deliveries or by bringing variety to their offerings, by signing up to uh, Uber Eats, for instance. And sometimes you've got to do things like that to, to be able to, to grow. So it does come back to that determination and resilience and to be able to, to keep an open mind. I remember my first lesson, Andy, when I walked up and after half an hour, I was so gassed. My head was spinning. I had to just kind of lie down for about 20 minutes and then come back into the dojo for the last 10 minutes of the class. But I really, really wanted to do this. And I told you that right there and then, I'm going to see you next week, um, yeah, as, you know, unlikely as it sounded. But if I, if I hadn't kind of let that determination really drive me, I would not have come back the following week and, and, and the rest would have been a very different version of history. One, one important part of your life is obviously um, your family and, and uh, the way that Corinne helps you in the business and maintaining that connection within your relationship something that needs to be really worked through and thought through very carefully. What's your, you've got a great relationship with Corinne and you have for many years. What's your relationship advice? Uh, yes, well, in our case, we both ended up starting martial arts. I know a lot of relations, a lot of uh, connections, friends who do martial arts, but the rest of their family or their partner is not involved or not really interested into it. And I guess that dynamic would be different. In my case, I was lucky that my wife became interested in martial arts and not only joining, but in fact, she was the one who triggered my interest into instructed because, instructing because she did it first. Um, and over the years, we both kind of graded through uh, several black belt dance. 
she's continued to train and teach. She loves teaching kids as well, more so. And she also, also you know, aspired to grow into other areas such as meditation and, and kids yoga and family yoga, which she's done over the years by doing the relevant studies and training and accreditation. And that's helped us broaden our offerings at Arrow as well to include not just martial arts but those other kind of mind and body um, aspects of the training which complement each other quite well. Uh, but, yeah, having a partner in the business who's also your life partner that you can, you know, bounce things around and, and have a core understanding and agreement of, of looking down the line and having, you know, the same vision is, I think, really important. And I've got to say we don't always have the same vision and it's important not to expect that you everything will be rosy and that you will both want exactly the same things uh, when you look at, you know, how we can grow, where, what areas we want to grow in. Um, I've had to obviously keep an open mind, but I've always been supportive of, of Karina. I told her a long time ago, way before we even opened business, that I'm always supportive of any endeavour that involves self-growth and education. Karina did a course in floristry many years ago, and I said, you know, I'm not going to look at the money and we're going to put in the, the, the budget that, that is needed for you to do this. Uh, when she, she needed to do meditation and yoga, same thing. If there was money to be spent into training and growth, uh, I was not going to blink about it. Because to me, that's that's one of the best investments you can make. Um, so over the years, we've kind of learned as we went to partner together to keep this business going. And you look at it now, it's, it's still growing. It continues to grow and evolve and welcome new people through its doors. Um, but having, again, an open mind and the ability to talk about things and the, the ability to discuss things when things don't work out and finding alternatives and how you can resolve things is really important. There are things that, you know, how we split up the labour 10 years ago, which are now different how we split, split up the labour, the thing that she does that I do. And sometimes you need to be able to step into each other's shoes um, to go, okay, you can't do this this week, so I'll do it. Or, you know, you won't have time to do this this, this, this week because you're busy organising a grading. So I'll take over this particular aspect of, of the business. And to be able to do that and have each other's back is, uh, I think, really critical. Fine words, Rob, fine words. I've really appreciated your time this morning. I've learned a lot. I always do from these interviews and I'd just like to thank you for sharing your your choice words with us this morning. And Thanks, forward, Andy. I look forward to seeing you on the, on the mat on Thursday. I hope you're coming. I will be coming on Thursday. I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and, and thank you so much for all the years of teaching but also the opportunity to venture into this uh, this amazing you know, business adventure um, and also to, to have the opportunity to speak and tell my story through you today. Uh, my pleasure. It's through through you guys that my, you're my biggest teachers. So in this formal environment, I can, I can get to ask you some questions and we can sit down and we can, nut, we can nut out the answers together. So thank you, Rob, and I'll um, see you on Thursday.